How are you doing? You're looking great, looking good. Uh, let's give it up for the superstar Charlotte on the front row. We are in part two of Follow Me. And my goal for January, this January series, is for us to um, hopefully find some motivation within ourselves to take that next step. God is a gentleman, and I believe that he won't push himself on anyone. However, he's as close as the whisper of his name. And that moment when you want to draw close to him, when you want to know him more, when you want to engage more in his principles, I believe that he is ready to meet us there. Amen? Today, I have titled my sermon, The Art of Delusion. The Art of Delusion. In John chapter 9, verses 13 through 34, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Turn to your neighbor and say, he shouldn't do that. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he was a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now, to understand context, this, this verse is hilarious because in this time, anyone that came against the Pharisees or even insinuated that Jesus might be the Messiah, they were exiled from the synagogue. So here are this boy's parents not wanting to say that Jesus healed him. They're throwing their son under the bus saying, he's of age, ask him. I don't know, ask him. I mean, they know that their son was blind. They know that he now can see, but they don't want to answer the hard questions because of the potential consequences that they might face. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Verse 23, that's why they said he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they 
Isn't this a great block of scripture? It's great. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. I love verse 29 because here we see people who have the Old Testament memorized, but they can't see Jesus. And this tells me that we can be full of knowledge, yet starving for a revelation of God. Verse 30, the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Do you sense the confusion that's going on? The confusion that Jesus brought on the scene. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath and bring confusion? Maybe it's through our confusion that we then become aware. Maybe it's through the reality of our death that we then see the fullness of our life. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that you would be with us in the remaining time that we have today. God, I ask that your presence would show up and accomplish whatever it is that you've set out, that you have ordained and you have put into motion on this day to accomplish. God, it is no accident that the people in this room are in this room. It is no accident that the people listening online months and years from now to this sermon are listening on the day that they're listening to because you have a plan, God, and your plan will come to pass for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, go ahead and meet and greet and high-five and hug and talk and chatter. We'll take a good 60 seconds. Have you ever been delusional? Like delusional guys at Christmas thinking your wife is going to like that gift? Have you just ever lost it? Like you just were certain that, that it was going to happen this way or it did happen this way and, and you were just set. Did you know that research actually proves that, that the vast majority of our memories are false? The, the vast majority of what we believe to have happened in the past didn't actually happen the way that we think it did. I know you're sitting there and you're saying, oh, my memories are good. I have a photographic, photogenic memory. I know that it happened the way I said it did. But the reality is up to 90% of your memories are false. It's true. I saw a couple nudges in the audience. That's not safe to do, husbands. Wives, do what you want. If most of our memories are inaccurate or false or skewed, then why bother having a memory? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked because it, it turns out that the part of the brain that creates memories and stores memories is also the part of the brain that plans for the future and has vision. They are directly linked. 
Oftentimes when people have brain damage and they have short-term or long-term memory loss, that's not the only thing impacted. The other thing impacted is that they can't project into the future what may or might happen based on consequences, based on desires, based on dreams. There was a man, uh, I don't recall his name, that had severe brain injury, and he could not remember from day to day what he did yesterday. And they interviewed him, and they said, well, Jack, what are you going to do tomorrow? What do you suppose you're going to do? And he sat there for a moment with a blank stare, and he said, well, I, I suppose that I will do tomorrow whatever suits me tomorrow. Hmm. Have you ever been in a season where you couldn't dream? In a season where you couldn't have vision, you lost all hope, and you just were like, well, whatever happens, it's going to happen. It doesn't really matter. Those are the miserable moments of life. Let me tell you, I've been there. I've, I've been in seasons where I was dreaming just to have a dream. Like that was my dream. God, just let me have hope again. Let me be able to see myself in a future that's not utter chaos. Anyone ever been there or is it just the preacher? Been there. I know I may not always recall everything just right, but I'm still grateful that I recall faulty things because having the memory allows me to see a hope for tomorrow. I think of this text and the Pharisees were there and, man, they were delusional. Utterly delusional. If you read this again, go, go sit down with your cup of coffee or hot tea and honey, whatever it, your thing is with a sunrise or sunset or fireplace or at the ocean, whatever. Take this block of text, read it really, really slow, and then enjoy the comedy that's here. Like how ridiculous is it that these highfalutin, high-class, educated Pharisees are calling this guy over to explain something. They see him get healed, and they want answers. Because God must be able to fit into the box that I can carry. And if I don't understand it, I'm just missing knowledge. Maybe we're not missing knowledge. Maybe we're missing revelation. Revelation where God pulls back the curtain and gets, gives us that window of opportunity where we get to peer into the nature and the DNA of our creator, where the supernatural world becomes more natural than anything you can touch, see, hear, smell, or feel. How did Jesus do this? The Pharisees said they were delusional. Delusional. I've been delusional. You've been delusional. But let me just, in, in regards to God, I suppose the greatest delusion of them all is that we can control him or we can be like him. And I know you're thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't try to control God. Okay. Wait till my sermon's over. Let's talk about it. I, I don't try to be God. That's even more laughable. Because each and every day, you and I pick up the things laid at our feet so that we can be in charge of our own life because we don't trust God enough to do it his way. Being God. I mean, how many times this week have you evicted God from the throne of your heart and put your emotions there? 
How many times this week have you, have you kicked God out of his territory because your finances wanted to take precedence there? The great delusion is that we can control God or that we can be him. So to fix this great delusion, I think there are three, no, four points that I want to share with you today. Four points to help us clear the mist over our eyes. How many of you would like four simple points? You say, Pastor, I need them simple, though. I need them really simple. I don't want this ethereal, fuzzy, crazy thing. I need them really, really tangible and really, really simple. How many would like to leave here with something very simple? Okay, great. I've got four points. They're very, very simple. The first point is this. If we want to move beyond the delusion, we must understand that he sees beyond me. He sees what's beyond me. Turn to your neighbor, say, he sees what's beyond me. He sees what's beyond my ability to justify. The Pharisees wanted to look smart. They wanted to look intelligent. They wanted to look like they had the in with God. It was just a mask because in the dark recesses of the room, in the shadowy corners of the hallway, they're calling over a boy who got healed to try to figure this thing out that their education couldn't provide, but they still wanted to wear the mask. But God can see beyond your mask that you're wearing I don't care what people think about me. God can see beyond the mask that you're wearing. Why do you have to wear the mask? I get wearing the mask to the lady at the supermarket. I get wearing the mask to the boss because you can't say what's really on your mind. I get wearing the mask to Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays with him and him and him and her and her and her. I get that mask, and sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes you need to be reminded that masks are okay. But why wear a mask before your creator? He sees what's beyond you. He knows it's just a game. He knows that you're trying to play the bad boy or the smart girl. He, he knows that your money you think can fix it all and you can throw money at the problem and try to fix it all day long. But he sees what's beyond me. <laughs> he sees the inner me. He sees the wounded me. He sees the insecure me. He sees the prideful me. He sees the arrogant me. He sees the me who desperately wants to run after him, yet constantly gets pulled by this desire or that desire or this person or that thing. Like he sees beyond me. If we want to get beyond the great delusion of trying to play God, being God or controlling God, we, we have to understand that he sees beyond me. He sees it all. Hey, that's, that's foundational. That's easy, right? Look at your neighbor say, he sees beyond me. 
Okay, we all can get that. Yes, that's easy. You ready to go up a notch in difficulty? How about this side of the class? You ready to go up a notch in difficulty? Okay, here's point number two. Point number two, he sees beyond me. Look at your neighbor and say, wow, didn't see that one coming. If he sees beyond me and my ability to justify, he also sees beyond me and my ability to perceive. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He sees beyond me. He sees beyond my ability to see. Monday night prayer, I was here, kneeling right here praying. And on Mondays, for those of you that haven't been here, it's, it's incredible. It's not a corporate thing. We just come and spend time with the Lord and we pray or we journal or we, whatever it is that you do, how you and Jesus do you and Jesus. You show up here at 6.30 and from 6.30 to 7.30, uh, we just pray, and there's music, and there's people around the room, and over here we have a table set up for communion, self-serve communion. So you walk up to the table when you're ready, and as a family, you can receive communion right here. And I'm kneeling right here, and after prayer, I, um, well, during prayer, I see a couple walk up to get communion. And then my wife, um, after service, I said, hey, did you... Did you see that uh, Jordan and Rebecca were here? Jordan and Rebecca are friends of ours. They attend the church. Jordan and Rebecca Hart, you may know them. I was like, yeah, Jordan and Rebecca were here. I didn't get to see them. Did they leave already? And Carrie said, wait, Jordan and Rebecca were here? I was like, yeah, I saw them taking communion. Come to find out it was not Jordan and Rebecca. It was Hosanna and her son, Pedro. I need glasses. So Carrie was making fun of me. Um, but the reality is I can only see what I can see. And what you can't see, you can't see. Now, if I could replay that moment, knowing that it was Hosanna and her son Pedro, I would see from a lens and a perspective and be like, oh yeah, of course, that's Hosanna and Pedro, right? Because once you see what you couldn't see, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right? It's like you're dating someone, all of you single people in the house, and you just are in love with him, in love with her, and everything is great. And then one day you notice that they eat with their mouth open. And you can't unsee what you have now seen. Right? <laughs> God has the ability to see beyond me. He didn't just know that was Hosanna and Pedro. He could see the inner parts of their heart and knew the desires of their heart in that moment. He knew the reflections of their heart in that moment. He knew the fears of their heart in that moment. From my perspective, it looked like Jordan and Rebecca. Aren't you glad I'm not the one answering your prayers? 
He wants a boat. On your front door is a goat. <laughs> I thought he said boat. Goat. I don't know. He sees beyond me, beyond my ability to perceive. And some of us are wearing broken lenses, and we don't even know that they're broken. And it's unfortunate because you have been building those lenses since the day you were born. Everything that has happened, every choice that you've made, every relationship that you've had, every good thing and every bad thing has created inside of you a lens from which you see the world. Remember how I told you earlier that up to 90% of our memories aren't actually true? What if I told you that 100% of your perspectives are absolutely not true? What if I told you that in and of your own power and strength, your own reasoning and logic, it is absolutely impossible for you to view the world as it truly is? It is only through the grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit which cleanses the lenses and allows us to see with the sight of God who sees beyond me. He sees beyond me. There are actually two things that you can't see or won't see or two points that I would make regarding perspective. The first one is, there are things that you can't see. As hard as you try, there are things that you cannot see. You ever heard someone's story or you've seen someone make a mistake and you, you thought, I just don't get it. I'd, how would they do such a thing? You ever watch news? You ever watch crazy, ridiculous stories or people like, I don't know, a recent Austin story where a woman murders a new mom thinking she can legit care for the infant child and call it her own. How could someone do something like that? I will never be able to perceive how she could do something like that. But there is a whole world out there which my perception can't reach. Are you with me? This is why it is so important for you and I to lean into God, not to justify a murder, but to find somewhere in our heart compassion to where we actually run after the one who is lost. We don't push them further. We don't reject them more. We don't cut them off as if God's grace isn't good enough. Things that I can't see. There are also things that I won't see. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to wake up. God's perspective goes beyond my ability to perceive. Let me throw in another word, my current ability to perceive. My perception ability is growing and expanding day by day by day by day. I am able to see more things today than I was yesterday. Do you understand this? You, you, you believe that's true for your kids? You believe that's true for you? 
we are constantly in this state of, of growth to where I understand and grasp things today that I, I didn't two years ago. Have you ever thought or said to someone else, man, if only I knew now or knew then what I knew now. I was talking to one of my kids who's married, so that gives you two options. It's either Micah or Michaela. That's my son and my daughter. They're both married, and one of them said, you know, what, what's the gauge of how prepared we are in marriage and, and life? Because they're both really young. Both of my kids are married fairly young. And Carrie and I were talking to them, and we said, I'll tell you one thing. You know a whole lot more about life. You are a lot more self-aware, a lot more God-aware than I was when I got married. How long ago? 25? No, 20? I don't know. A really long... <laughs> 20 years ago, right? Was it 20? Oh, my God, 25. <laughs> Just testing you, baby. You're right. 25. <laughs> That's right. 25. 25 years ago, I wasn't as smart as I am now. 25 years ago, I wasn't as experienced as I am now. Wouldn't it be great if I could package all this up and go back 25 years and start this thing over? Well, Carrie would say, I am not starting over. I've got 25 years under the belt. We're going to keep going. But wouldn't it be great if we could? And, and Michaela, yeah, it was Michaela. Sorry, that was probably... Well, if it was Michaela, she would have said, so, so you feel like we're doing really good. We're, we're solid. And number one, the fact that a young 20-something-year-old even asked their parents for a self-assessment is pretty wise, right? And so I said, Michaela, I think, like, I'm excited because the reality is our ceiling has become your floor, like, my kids get to stand on my shoulders. That's what legacy is about. It's not about me holding my kids down and not wanting them to succeed or not sharing the wisdom that I have or what I see a lot from parents is, I did it, you can do it too. Like, it should be our goal to pass on that which we have so that our kids get to stand on our shoulders. I can't, I'm going to be a granddad in like three weeks, February 3rd. It's scheduled, not scheduled, but, you know, it's a due date. And I'm going to be a grandfather. I can't even imagine what my grandchild is going to grow up to become. Because my parents have allowed me to stand on their shoulders, and I've allowed my kids to stand on my shoulders, and they're going to allow my grandchildren to stand on their shoulders. There are, there are things that I can't see, but then there are things that I won't see. I don't want to see it, because once I see it, I can't unsee it. Once I see it, I am accountable. By the way, every one of us sitting in the church today, you're hearing a word that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to give his life to redeem the world, to bring them back into relationship with God. Whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. You've heard it, and now you're accountable to it. There are some things I won't see because if I see it, I can't unsee it. Isn't it amazing 
how sometimes we will play these games with God and act as if we don't know. The, the greatest example in my mind is Exodus. Exodus 13 and 14. Two other great places to go if you want some good entertainment. The people of Israel were in bondage. The people of Israel were in bondage. And Moses is going to set them free. And Exodus 13, 17 through 18 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, Oh, by the way, let me just turn here. Genesis, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Good grief. Exodus 13. This comes on the heel of all of the plagues, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, ain't going to happen. And God says, oh, it's going to happen. I'm going to show you. So there are all of these plagues, the plague of livestock, the plague of boils. Oh, man. The plague of frogs. The plague of blood, the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, all of this stuff. God is like proving how powerful he is. And Pharaoh, finally, in verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, says, take them, take, take the people. I don't want them. I don't just take the people and go. And so Moses goes, and then in 13, verse 17, 18, Pharaoh let the people go. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. We have that on the screens coming up. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So verse 17, they're leaving Egypt. But God takes them around the desert so they don't have to go into battle. And verse 18 says, they went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Isn't that weird? That God would send them ready for battle, but send them specifically so that they don't have to go into battle. The reality is you and I have to learn to carry our weapons before we ever learn to use them. And then in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, the Lord said to Moses, so they're walking and they're walking and they're, they're wandering. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp uh, near the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So the Israelites are walking, and God tells them to turn back around so that Pharaoh thinks they're confused. They're not confused, they're obedient. 
And then Pharaoh decides he's going to chase after them. If they're confused, i got to run after them. So in chapter 14, Pharaoh becomes very delusional, thinking that he can actually capture that which God has set free. In verse 10, Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So now the Israelites have become delusional. Is it that we won't see that God has been faithful? Or is it that you can't see that God has been faithful? Is it that you won't see the multiple plagues that had gone before? Or you can't see? Is it that you won't see that the river has been parted? Or that you can't see? Is it that you won't see you've been following a cloud by day and a fire by night? You won't see it or you can't? Why is it that when the enemy comes at your tail, that's the one thing you finally can see? Has God been faithful to you? If he did it once, he'll do it again. The third point, he sees what's beyond me. He sees what's beyond my ability to control. Do you trust him? There was a husband and wife. They had gotten married recently. And they went on a trip. They got in a boat to cross over to the other side. And while they were in the water, this huge storm came. The winds were high, the waves were fierce, and the woman is screaming, freaking out. She can't swim. And she's asking her husband what he's going to do, and of course you can't fight the wind. So he sits there in the boat, and she's screaming, and she's screaming, and she's, she's asking, what are you going to do? Why, why are you just sitting there? Are you, are you seeing what's going on? Are you, are you stone? Are you frozen? Are you dead? And he's just sitting there and she's losing it. And, and he pulls out a knife from his pocket. He opens up this massive knife. He looks at the knife, looks at his wife and smiles. Slowly puts the knife up to her neck. And she, he said, are you afraid? She said, no, no, I'm not afraid of you and the knife. He said, why, why aren't you afraid? 
And she said, because I know who's holding the knife. And he said, that's why I can sit quiet in the storm because I know who's holding us. He can see beyond your ability to control. And the fourth point, I'll leave you with this. He can see beyond me. He can see beyond my ability to get the glory. If you have planned your story in some strategic way where you come out looking like the hero, that's not the way it's going to be. Because God's plan and God's story for your life doesn't make you the hero. There's only one hero in your story, and his name is Jesus. So we can try to manipulate and control and worry and fret and have anxiety and do all the things that make us feel like we're doing something. Or we can sit back and just remember that he sees beyond me. What God is doing in the earth is bigger than the part that I play. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you for the ability to trust you in this moment. God, I thank you for the opportunity to not justify, to lay down the mask, the, the opportunity to perceive, the opportunity to not control, the opportunity to give you the glory. God, I just thank you. God, that following you means that sometimes things happen that I don't understand. Sometimes things happen that I I can't control. God, in this moment, we choose to surrender. The beautiful surrender. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.